Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. Hey, did you know my new book is out? Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation. Head over to setitonfire.co to learn more. Well, my guest today is Sally Loftus. Sally is the Managing Director at Loftus Partners, and it's a 100% women-owned human resources consulting firm. And this is beautiful. They're located in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Can't wait to talk about that a little bit. And they specialize in strategy, people, facilitation, pay justice, and i um, super excited to just have this conversation. They're in three continents, 54 clients, and it's just exciting to talk to you today, Sally. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, first of all, we got to talk about your beautiful location that you're in. That's a cool place. Were you always there or is this new? <laughs> no. Well, actually, I will say I've lived in the mountains for 11 years. We lived in Charlotte before that, and I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, which you can probably tell from my accent. And But yeah, we've been in the Blue Ridge Mountains for 11 years, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Well, I would love for you to just zoom out for us. Give us just a little bit of an idea of your professional path into what you're doing today. Yeah, I've been in human resources for the last, I hate to admit, almost 30 years because that dates me, but probably I'll say 25. And human resources is a pretty expansive topic, right? And what drew me into my undergrad degrees in human resources was the ability to work with people all day. You know, typically people think, you know, HR is hire, fire, train, you know, but there's a lot of other things. You get to be with people in their most critical moments. And so that's how I've done that. I've worked at different levels of HR. I've always really enjoyed more of the strategy end and how that helps make a business more profitable or run better or things like that, which is kind of where I operate more now in my human resources consulting firm is really at the strategy side. I love that because I feel like that's really where a lot of organizations are needing help, especially as we look at how people and culture, right, has changed over time and how some of the conversations you're bringing to the forefront are conversations that we need to have. So one of the things that you talk about on your platform is pay justice or pay equity. I would love for you to just spend some time, tell our listeners what it is and why do we need to have these conversations? Yes. That Those are both big questions, right? One is I'll start with what is pay equity? And you'll hear it termed in a lot of different ways. You might hear equal pay, pay equity, pay parity. Mm-hmm. So I use it as kind of an all-inclusive term of making sure people are paid equally across, you know, for the jobs they're doing or depending on their demographic identities, things like that, and intersectional ones. And also breaking down systems, that's where the pay justice comes in, breaking down systems that keep us back from being able to pay um, people in ways that they can thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. I think that this is a big conversation. I mean, unfortunately, you know, when you look at the data and the information, it's obvious that there are certain groups that are still underpaid comparative to others. And I mean, this is conversations we've been having for years but somehow we're just not improving fast enough. And that's definitely a little disheartening, right? When you look at, you know, some of the statistics that are out there. 
Yeah, definitely. And to your point, yes. I mean, we've had wage stagnation in the United States since the 70s, right? That's Mm -hmm. not new. What really has kind of brought it to the forefront has been with the pandemic, you know, 2020 and on. The increasing cost of living, people's wages not keeping up with that. And typically cost of living was a measure that was used on the back end of kind of offers or even it may not be used at all. Whereas now it really needs to be at the forefront of the conversation and kind of to leading to what your topic is, Natalie, is like innovation. It's hard to be innovative when you're fearful if you can pay your bills or not. That's right. That's right. The last guest I just had on my podcast, we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And when you're in survival mode, right? I mean, that's the problem that you're trying to solve for. You're not thinking beyond that. And so unfortunately, you're opening kind of this door of what's on the other side of this Maslow hierarchy of needs and Mm -hmm. why are people in survival mode and what can we really do to move them from survival to actually being able to grow and invest and then eventually give back. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny you bring that up because I was thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs earlier today because, you know, I think a lot of us are locked in fear. I will include myself in that, right? Fear from what we've lived through the last few years, fear of not knowing what's going to happen in the world because we're more connected than ever. There's fears of, is there going to be a recession? Is there not going to be a recession? You know, it seems like everybody's laying off. Is that going to be, you know, so there's a lot of things that we can fear that are outside of our control. But then when you bring it into the workplace, right, and I start talking about pay is if I take this risk with this innovative idea and it doesn't work, does that mean I'm going to have a job on the other end? Right. So then you hold your ideas because there's risk that I could, you know, I could lose my job over it. Yeah. People are really playing it safe right now. And I understand it because they're really trying to, you know, keep up with what they're experiencing in their lives around how much it costs to live in the Mm -hmm. United States. So how can organizations be thinking about how to create like a pay equity framework? What Mm -hmm. If it might even feel a little bit overwhelming, Where are some places that they should be starting? How should they be thinking about this? Yeah, it is overwhelming because there's not one thing I found in pay equity work in the years I've been doing it is there's not one simple solution that works for everyone. Right. I wish there was. It might be easier, but then it probably wouldn't be inclusive. But, you know, I mean, I think one part of it is that it's going to take some time because a lot of pay equity is having conversations and challenging personal assumptions that maybe we've held for years. So example, you know, like I'll work with organizations and they'll be like, you know, five years ago when we updated our salaries, right, this particular tech job was really hot and we knew we had to pay, you know, and, you know, we really upped our recruiting costs, whatever, Mm -hmm. because we needed that talent. But it's going back and being like, is that true today? Is that, you know, or do we really, if you're going to have a hybrid workforce, or remote first workforce. What are the assumptions we have of the people who work for us and how they work? And are those lining up with maybe what our mission and values and our purposes as an organization? And what I find is like those conversations haven't happened or they haven't been kind of had in detail about we're going to pay people at the 75th percentile. Well, that's great, but why? Yeah. (laughs) You know? People are like, that's great, but I don't know what that means. That's powerful. So really understanding why you do what you do, digging in and and answering some hard questions. I think that gives us a little bit of a roadmap or a framework to start to work from. I think that, you know, 
one of the bigger challenges is on the side of the people who are being paid under what everyone else is paying. How do they come to the table and have the conversation? What should that look like? Oh my gosh, I could spend hours on this topic, right? I mean, that's what, so I will kind of give you my quick thing is one is really looking at, there's a lot of great data out there that's available. You can look at number one, like what your job is. And so it's important to have a job description that kind of details your years of experience, you know, technical skills, whatever that is. And then going out on the job market and kind of looking, you know, and trying to be reasonable of what comparing apples to apples with your job where you can see pay data. That's not everywhere. I think the other piece is the Bureau of Labor Statistics tells us every month what the consumer expenditures are. You know, they just released the 2022 data in the last two or three months. And so the average consumer expenditures across all households in the United States for a year was $74,000. So a lot of people are like, well, people just need to cut back. They need to stop getting $7 lattes. I'm like, well, you can do that. But if you're making $55,000, right, which is a, a lot of frontline workers would be super happy to make $55,000, right? People who are making less than that, they're just behind all the time working multiple jobs if they have access to childcare. You know, I mean, all these yeah. contributing factors that really impact how they show up at work. So those are great things to kind of highlight, I think, when you're going into that conversation about your pay. Well, I want to lean in a little bit to what have you seen that the most innovative firms are doing when it comes to this stuff? Like one of one of the things that um, I had a really cool experience of working on several years ago when I worked at ADP is, you know, we had a team that was working on predictive analytics. So how to understand based on a number of factors when someone would leave an organization based on what they were making pay-wise, based on the distance that their house was from the office and, you know, their tenure and just a number of different things. You could actually begin to predict when your workforce would leave based on how you were paying them and a number of other factors. So for sure, this is, there are plenty of ways we could be looking at the problem. There are plenty of things that we could be doing to figure out how to solve it. But what do you see out there with your clients and some of the more innovative firms? Like how are they putting their arms around this challenge with pay equity? Yeah, there's some great examples out there of firms that have said, number one, we are going to kind of walk the talk. They've said talent, our talent are our greatest, I don't want to say assets in our, you know, in our firm, mm -hmm. but I mean, we are going to prioritize the people who work here and we know that we can't do anything without them. So then what are all the actions that fall behind that statement? Mm -hmm. And one of them is usually around pay equity and saying, you know what, we're going to pay living and thriving wages. I usually encourage people, like I usually start with clients for a pay equity assessment and We'll tell people as you're kind of going through that data, like you were talking about predictive analytics, is bring it, bring a sense of curiosity hmm. into that review, not judgment. There are going to be people who are paid not the way you think they need to be paid, you know, whatever, because a million things have happened. Hmm. You know, somebody who was in the job five years earlier just made a bad choice. You know, you went through a merger and acquisition and you inherited a bunch, you know, I mean, hmm. like there's a lot. So I think one thing is really being curious. Two is really having the conversations, like I said, around those assumptions and trying to listen to employees. Mm. Employees will tell you. I mean, they're very clear if you give them the opportunity what meaningful pay looks like and what mm -hmm. will keep them there. And most people will say, you know, 
I'm not here to be a billionaire. You know, I'm here, you know, you know, depending on, you know, for a job to, you know, make a difference in the world, you know, whatever it is. So we really need to destigmatize talking about pay at work. Like I've seen in handbooks where they're like, you're not allowed to talk about pay at work. I'm like, well, that's not reasonable. Well, why do we think that? I mean, why do we think that is? I, I mean, I think we can all guess. It's because, you know, the pay is probably not very equal. And I even think about, you know, when I would look across teams and people doing the same job, but all making different amounts of money. I mean, the question really is, as the manager, what part do you have to play in this? And what is what's on you as far as to do this? Maybe organizationally, there's not a, a clear, you know, initiative or direction to to make updates or changes in these areas. But as a leader, if you're seeing this, what should that look like for you as you step forward? Yeah, I appreciate the way you frame that because I think kind of the overall message here is that pay tends to be a mystery. You know, and I don't think there are tons of people out in the work world who are trying to underpay certain groups of people all the time. You know, there's a lot of systemic stuff that's yeah. gone in there. I will say from a manager, one thing I find is that sometimes managers don't even have access to their pay, their team's pay data. So they're like, oh, HR has that. So I think one is being able to access the data and then just being able to have some conversations. One is with the people who determine that, right? Like, how are, like, why are people paid like this? You know, what are the kinds of conversations I can have with my staff and talk to your staff about it, you know, and just be mm -hmm. like, how are you feeling? You know, what's going on? What are you seeing? A lot of times we're scared to talk about that because we're scared it's going to make somebody upset when in reality, they really want to talk about it. Yeah, they definitely want to talk about it. Again, it goes it goes right back to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is a survival topic for them. So even if we're not having the conversation, it's almost always top of mind. I, I think we have to also extrapolate out the cost of replacing that person, right? And if we value that person in any regard and we're not looking for them to turn over, these are the types of conversations we need to be having. And I can tell you that, you know, from a lot of the employees I've led over the years, this is a, a huge topic. It's a hot topic. It's one that they do want to talk about. They want to lean into that with you. And it's also a very uncomfortable topic. It's something that people don't feel a lot of because of the handbook, right? You're not allowed to yeah. talk about stuff at work like this. It also is really hard to talk about because people don't feel like they can lean into the conversation or it just feels very awkward to have it in the first place. Yeah. And typically it feels awkward because a lot of times the people who make the decisions aren't clear mm -hmm. about how they got to that decision. Oh, we had these, you know, this firm or HR pulled this data and we know it's this range. Like a lot of it can be unnecessarily arbitrary at right. times. Whereas a lot of times I'm working with clients to create a pay grid, you know, that anybody in the organization could say, hey, here's the applicant for this job. Anybody in the organization could then look at the pay grid and be like, oh, they need to be paid between this and this. Mm -hmm. It's not a mystery. And I, I think that's what it is. There's so much mystery, <laughs> you know, behind pay that it impedes us in a lot of ways that doesn't need to, that could, you know, really increase innovation in the company when people aren't having to worry about this. Right. You know, I think about these stats that have been out there forever, a couple of years, call it that, you know, 17% Women learn, earn 17% less than men, or they earn 82 uh, cents on every dollar a man earns. Or, you know, it's just, you would think after all these years of hearing these stats, the gaps would close or the 
those numbers would get better. But we continue to see kind of this this frustration kind of brewing in the background of not seeing these numbers improve and just continuing to kind of look at the same numbers over and over again. And that that for sure is a frustrating thing to see these stats, not the gaps not closing on them. Yeah. And it, it is related to pay. I mean, obviously you can go in and institute, you know, pay equity, but it's not going to change some of the other pieces that lead to this. So for mm-hmm. instance, the broken rung and the glass cliff, right? Mm-hmm. So the broken rung is that the way to really equalize pay across genders is giving people equal access to that first management or supervisor role, right? Mm -hmm. And then the glass cliff is people of different identities getting up to that C-suite potentially and never getting to make that step into the CEO role, right? And then there's also pieces around, again, the systemic stuff. We have a huge childcare crisis, right? In the world, you know, I hear people be like, oh, nobody wants to work. And I'm like, have you, like, they got kids. Have you looked at how much childcare costs lately? You know, I mean, so I think looking, being cognizant of some of these systemic barriers that may keep people from working for us and kind of being innovative about like, how can we engage people in ways that they want to work with us and stay with us? Yes. And that's what's hard. I mean, I, I even think about the fact that right now, right, we have employers calling everyone back to the office. And so, Now it's, hey, you know, you're back in the office. And I understand there's a lot of benefits, right, to having people back together, collaboration and all these other reasons. But then on the flip side of that, right, you have the lack of flexibility that creates for women. And then oftentimes when you look around the exec table, a lot of times it's mostly men around the table who have a wife at home who's caring for the children. And so the woman, right, has to go through these heroic efforts behind the scenes to sit at that table and it's not really allowed to be talked about, right? It's not mm-hmm. allowed to, to be like, hey, I had to hire the nanny or I had to mm-hmm. move my parents into my house or I had to move into the same neighborhood yeah. as my parents in order to make this work or, you know, all the things, right? All the backflips, right? That women do to be able to sit at that table. Sometimes that lack of flexibility over the lifetime of your career, because a lot of the caring for the house and caring for the children, it kind of falls to the woman it makes it really hard for her then to be able to enter the arena and sit at the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say there are other things as well, like thinking about, you know, student loans being paused for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Some people may have saved, you know, the money they paid for parking in downtown or, you know, commuting, they may Mm -hmm. have saved and paid down other things with, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, I don't have that money, you know, anymore. Or so there are a lot of barriers out there that people have, you know, employers have really got to think about and also offer something that's like inviting people, Mm -hmm. you know, people may want to come back to the office because they may live in a space. Like I live in a county where 40% of the people don't have access to the internet. You know, working at home is really in a rural area. Working at home, it can be difficult for people. I mean, thinking about what can we offer for people that makes them want to be there and is not always cheesy <laughs> right <Yeah>. free snacks <laughs> yeah and that may be great you know and that may not be cheesy at your organization but trying to kind of again listen to employees and be like what would motivate you to be here yeah that's so good talk about technology like how can we be using or leveraging technology to kind of bring about this conversation around achieving pay equity Yeah, I would love for more technology options in there. I would love, this is me dreaming, my version of chat GPT would have fresh data on all these jobs across the country. And you could be like, here's what I'm looking for with this, you know, 
budget size, blah, blah, blah. There are some things out there, but the data is not fresh Mm -hmm. um, typically. So I think that's an opportunity um, in there. I think with there is more access to actual pay data now than before, Mm -hmm. which is through pay transparency laws. There are certainly websites out there where you can put your pay data in and it'll give you stuff back, but always question the integrity of that data because people are wanting to get information. I would put down, I'd make a million dollars if you asked me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, you know, bring my ratio up. But, you know, so I think there's some opportunities to use technology to kind of get better data, yeah, uh, cleaner data to make some more informed decisions. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And I think that's, I think that's helpful to kind of hear that. Yes, there is data out there, may not always be the freshest of data, mm-hmm. but really be maybe looking at multiple different sources to kind of arrive at the conclusion of what you think this role or this job might make. What final thoughts would you have for our listeners today? I would just say, you know, pay equity can seem overwhelming. You mentioned that at the top of the podcast. And what I find is sometimes people will be like, that sounds great, but we don't have the money or we don't have whatever. And I think, you know, if you don't do anything, you're going to be in the same situation or worse than what you are now. So try to make some steps, right? Try to take what you can and go, you know, do something because, I would tell every single organization out there, you need to update your pay ranges this year if you haven't updated them since 2020. It's because you're behind. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of the most critical things you can do to attract and retain talent in a labor shortage market, which I think we're going to be in for a while. Wow, that's very astute kind of final thoughts there. Where can people find and follow you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm there a lot. And you can find my firm, Loftus Partners, also on Instagram as well. We have a YouTube channel, website, everything but like Facebook and TikTok, I guess, right? (laughs) Um, And Pinterest, I don't know. Yeah. Well, awesome. It's so great to meet you and talk to you today, Sally. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Natalie. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, Don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership and visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Hey, my new book is out, Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation. Click on the link to learn more. And don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something.